Hi, it's Lynn Power. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Masami, and I just finished a podcast with Robert Miller called Follow Your Dream. You're going to love it. Take a listen. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream, and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream Podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. I'm pleased to tell you that my Follow Your Dream Handbook is now out and available. The handbook is a combination memoir of my musical journey and a step-by-step how-to book. Plus, it's got a whole bunch of very cool photos of my life and my career. I wrote the handbook as an extension of this podcast to help everyone to pursue and succeed at their dream, whatever it may be. The reviews have been just spectacular. It's been called inspiring, extremely helpful, highly readable, the guiding light, and a true literary treasure. So pick up the Follow Your Dream handbook today. It's available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. My guest today is Sarah Kotlova. For 25 years or so, she was a global advertising executive. She represented giant companies like Unilever, Rolex, Johnson & Johnson, and Nestle. But I guess she wasn't satisfied because she needed to follow her dream. And she transitioned. She gave it all up. And now she is the co-founder of Impact Naturals, which I believe is a CBD company. We'll talk about all of that and her huge transition in just a moment. As you know, in all of my episodes, underneath the introduction and then at the end, I like to feature one of my songs. And uh, in this episode, I decided that I wanted to feature the song Redemption Road, which is from the album PGS7 by my band Project Grand Slam. And I always try to make the song relevant somehow to my guest or to the subject matter. And why did I choose this song? Well, I figured that Sarah felt like she needed redemption from pushing all those products onto the public when she was at this big advertising agency. We'll find out today if I'm right about that. So, Sarah Kotlova, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. So you made this gigantic transition in your life. But before we even get to that, I like to ask my guests, when you were young, when you were a little girl, what was your dream? Oh, hands down, Egyptologist. Say this again. Egyptologist. In fact, um, if, if you're only audio, but um, I even have a little reminder of my dream on my desk. She's holding an obelisk in her hand. <laughs> I want you to know this. Now, when he was a young man, he never thought he'd see people stand in line to see the boy king. So funky. funky Did you do the funky? Ordinary 
this woman must be really into the whole thing because she's got an obelisk on her desk. She didn't know I was going to ask this question. No, no. Okay. I want to hear about this. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> now, my first dream, absolutely Egyptology. Why? You know, I, so I'm, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, and I guess it was just the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, just something fascinating out of my experience, you know, just uh, read every book, looked at everything I could get my hands on. I remember my grandparents asking me, I was probably about five or six, you know, I'd done well in some little school thing. And, and they said, what can we, you know, what would you like to do to, to reward, you know, to have a reward? And I think they were thinking along the lines of go have an ice cream. And I said, <laughs> we should go to Egypt. <laughs> You know, I've asked this question of a lot of people, and I think your answer is now at the top of the list of the most unusual answers that I've gotten back. An Egyptologist as a young girl. Okay, so whatever happened, did you pursue that? Did you go to Egypt? You know, would you believe I still haven't been, although I have the collections of most of the major museums memorized. Uh, what, uh, <laughs> um, and uh, my my father and, and my and his wife were actually in in, uh, in Egypt right before the Arab Spring, and um, I was incredibly jealous. So no, that that but that is that that will still be achieved when I when I go. I hope I can come back on your podcast. And talk now, about I want it. you to know little a little <laughs> story. Yeah, I will have you back. Okay, I was in <laughs> Egypt with my family. I don't know. Let's say about ten years ago. And it, it, you know, before the whole stuff that went on in the, mm -hmm. that whole area started, but I had a beef with the uh, with the country, okay, mm -hmm. because we took a little boat up the river, okay, uh -huh. the Nile River, of course, of course, and I'm I'm looking out for the pyramids along the Nile because that's what the song said, right? Yeah. See the pyramids <laughs> along the yeah. Nile. There are no pyramids that, along the yeah. Nile. <laughs> So they either took him away or the guy that wrote the song had it all wrong. Okay? <laughs> well, you know, that, that is, I think, the best love song, though. It, you know, a little poetic license never hurt anybody. You know, he, what is that? The market in Tangier is also a little weird. So, you know, poetic license. Okay. So you started off being an Egyptologist. As a, a, wannabe, a wannabe. A wannabe Egyptologist. Egyptologist. Yes. Did you even know what an Egyptologist did? Oh yeah, because I, I had read, you know, I read biographies. I I am um I will admit to you also I'm a I'm a hardcore Gemini. So I get fascinated with something and then I go all in. And I, you know, um it's not especially useful in life, but I am a wealth of useless trivia. Egyptologist, yeah, and then transitioned from there to uh actor, it transitioned from there to English professor, and then uh stumbled into advertising because except for the Egyptology part, it kind of wrapped everything else up for me. I got to do all of the things I loved. <laughs> doing that. 
Okay, so explain a couple of those transitions. You you became an English professor, did you say? Well, love theater, love acting, do it every chance I get. Um, was in a youth performing arts high school, you know, all that all that kind of work. Went to University of Pennsylvania. Um, was kind of tracking to be an English professor, still try to keep my hand in a little bit when I get the chance, um, write articles, do some things like that. But I think what what drove me kind of into advertising was um, looking at how could I, you know, what what are my, this will be a theme, I suppose, we talk about what am I actually any good at and what do I enjoy doing? And what do I enjoy doing? I enjoy connecting with people. I enjoy talking. I enjoy, you know, figuring out what, what makes, you know, like, you know, what makes some someone tick? What makes something something a situation interesting? And having, you know, delving into that, and that's what's that's what makes acting fascinating, right? You you are getting to inhabit another person. You are getting to, you know, use your skills to touch, you know, to to have some some impact on someone else. Um, that's also to me what, you know, what what the what the field of uh, you know English English is about is, you know, you're at the end of the day, you're kind of getting to, to have this lens into another, into someone else, right? Or into another, into another time period, into another point of view. You know, it's about communication. It's about, you know, a, a radical way of connecting with someone, you know, through, through written words and objects. All right. When you, when you went into acting, did you ever do any kind of Egyptian type of parts, you know? <laughs> never. Were you never. Queen Nefertiti or something like that in one of the productions? <laughs> I, I am a, I am a, no, I was everybody's mom, actually. I, I've been in basically every, every Gilbert and Sullivan being like the, the the character that tells everyone else what to do. That That's me. I you see. Know. What about a music? Did you, were you a fan of the bangles? Walk like an Egyptian, you know? Actually, it is on my playlist. That's true. And who doesn't who doesn't love the Bengals? <laughs> All right, I'm still trying to figure out the whole Egyptian thing. That's why I'm focused on this. You know, you threw me a left hook with this whole Egyptologist stuff. If we really want to go here, it's um, you know what? It's no other civilization has rebuilt itself entirely three times. You know, Egypt and China are the they're the longstanding civilizations, right? They have they have you know they have the rest of us beat out. You know, Egypt fell apart completely. You know twice completely rebuilt itself and, and, you know, reformulated. And then, you know, all those things, it's not like those things disappear, right? They, they, they go, it, they find ways into modern culture as well. So how do you not be fascinated? With that? All right. We, we seem to be uh, falling apart in this country as well. So maybe we're on the same track as Egypt. <laughs> we're learning. Yeah, exactly. We'll see about that. Okay. So let's get to the whole advertising thing. You, you got into advertising and how did you get in? Were you at the account level? Did you walk in the door and become a receptionist? What did you do? Started off in creative, um, like everyone leaving, you know, you kind of leaving school and, and changing track a little bit. Um, it was really just kind of like, this is where the cool people are migrating. This is what interesting things are happening. I wanted to live outside the country. I could, you know, kind of do pickup work in, in, in England. I um, ended up with an agency in London. Um, and then things kind of, uh, how do we, how do we say spiraled from there? 
I think what draws everyone into advertising initially is the people. The people are fascinating. You know, still, you know, you meet interesting people, interesting backgrounds. You know, everything is different every day. You know, your your world is really kind of ordered around, you know, clients who you know, have have a diverse need set. And it's really just, it's, you become like this adrenaline junkie, right? You know, it's about, you know, responding to, um you know, to every situation and to, you know, getting to, if you're lucky, getting to do a lot of cool work for a lot of cool people. So it's very addictive. Of all the accounts that you worked on, which were your favorite? Uh-oh, tough, tough question. Um, one of them I've got to say is WD-40. Shout out to my, my old client there, Paige. Um, WD-40, everyone knows what it is. Everyone's got one under their sink. Hold on a second. I want, I want to test you here. Oh, Why did it. they name it WD-40? 40th formula, right? That's exactly right. It failed right. 39 times. Yeah. One of my useless trivia, okay? <laughs> I love useless <laughs> trivia. <laughs> you know, one of uh, in the WD-40 office, they have an entire... It's kind of like a glorified closet, but it is full of fake WD-40s. It is and the I'm WD-40s. sure that closet does not squeak. Am I right? <laughs> no squeaks at the WD-40 <laughs> <Okay>. office. None. <laughs> not allowed. Um, but uh, it, it is all these, you know, imposter products, you know, that we've, we've gathered from around the world and kind of stuck in this place. And there's like WD-38, WD-400, <laughs> you know, God only knows what they're made from. They're all completely probably in an ecological nightmare. Um, but uh, um, it's just this fascinating like place where it's like this, just this one product that the entire world has tried to knock off and nobody can ever quite do. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm sure that like all the famous brands, there must be knockoffs of every famous brand, right? Every single thing. Yeah. 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 So getting people to care about having the real thing is absolutely, I mean, Rolex. I remember a million years ago, a friend of mine was working for Pierre Cardin. Yeah. And all that they were doing was tracking all of the knockoffs of Pierre Cardin. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, uh, and, you know, then you got the resale market, the gray markets. There's all, yeah, there's, there's lots. Um, when I worked on Rolex, with Rolex, our biggest competitor was ourselves. It was vin- the vintage Rolex market. So we had to convince you that not only did you want a Rolex, you wanted a new Rolex because a lot of people would prefer the vintage models. And I assume that they gave you a product when you were at Rolex. You know, we, we, we tried and we tried, we got like a discount, but it wasn't the same. <laughs> they, I mean, but you got to think they only gave watches away to like Winston Churchill. It's really hard to put yourself in that company. <laughs> I bet you that Roger Federer gets a Rolex now and then, cause he's one of their spokespersons. I Definitely spent time at the Rolex offices in uh, in Geneva, and yes, there are giant, giant pictures of, of Roger Federer everywhere. He is definitely the cult cult inspirational figure. Yeah, he really office. needs that income, I'm sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. I want to ask you a question, and I've asked this recently of somebody else that was in advertising. What happened to jingles in advertising? Well, you know what it is? It's um it was it was a question of, of accessibility. So okay, for a second. Actually another great client I worked on it was Bumblebee Tuna. And if you look at all those brands that came around in the fifties, you had to make things accessible, right? So that's why chicken of the sea is chicken of the sea because housewives were a little a little afraid of the concept of fish at the time, apparently. And so you had these like cartoon characters, you had these jingles. The idea was to make everything super friendly and you know, this really copy heavy, like old mad men school of advertising. Um, and it was just about getting stuck in your brain. And you know, you also had more limited selection back at that time, right? So it was very much whatever the last thing you had in your head was, that was what you would buy. Except it worked. 
The jingles were great. Everybody remembered them. Everybody knew them. Alka-Seltzer, you know, all the different jingles. Alka-Seltzer, plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. I never understood why they dropped that stuff. You know, and the, it's funny. There are still like some sort of local advertisers who will do it. Like um, back home, we had a we had like a carpet company that was like, you know, I can still sing it in my head. But it, it definitely got associated with like small local companies at some point, rather than like big things. But you know what? It does kind of exist still. Like, look at when you open an apple, everyone knows that sound, right? Or when you check your email, there are certain sounds, you know. But That's but true. we but we kind of we kind of went from and if you look at all media kind of did this right we went for music we went from having whole albums to having singles right please we, we i don't want to get depressed let's not talk yeah, about yeah, that yeah. okay <laughs> well but it's kind of the same right we went from songs to sounds <laughs> everything gets shorter in the digital attention span but you know everybody would remember these jingles everybody would sing them you would identify mm -hmm. the product immediately i just thought it was the smartest thing you could possibly do because you're trying to you know create an association Right Absolutely. between the song, the product, everybody's smiling, everybody's happy. Yeah. That's the other thing that I love about advertising. You know, if you're like me and you still watch the evening news, okay, and you have to be of a certain age to watch the evening news, the network evening news on television, you know, they have all of these medical and pharmaceutical product commercials. And what I love about these commercials, because they're all the same, they all have some kind of miracle cure. And then in the they second all say, part, I'm getting back to being me. Yeah. Right. The second part is where they have to, by law, tell you all the bad things that'll happen. Your eyes will pop out, your arms will fall off. But they always have images of smiling, happy people as they're talking about all the things that can do you in. <laughs> do not take Trulicity if you have a personal or family history of medullary thyroid cancer. If you have multiple endocrine neoplasia syndrome type 2, or if you're allergic to Trulicity. It's called fair balance, exactly. <laughs> I don't know how fair the balance is on that, but it's, it's actually quite funny. I, I, you know, I look forward to these commercials now. All right, so you're in these big agencies. You're, you're pushing all these products for all these gigantic companies. And what happened? Why didn't you want to stay in that? You know, um, quite honestly, I think it's two things. I mean, one thing is, um, and this is certainly not just my industry. We can all relate to it in one way or another. When I was coming up in advertising, you know, in a way, I, I got to be super hot because digital was hot. Right. And, you know, I absolutely rode that wave, right. Where suddenly every, the way everyone's attention, the way that people's attention span moved, the way people consume media moved um, and folks that were on the wrong side of that, you know, that was, that was a tough time. But for those of us kind of new and digital, it was everybody, everybody wanted us, right. Like we, we, we were, you know, we were kind of like the flavor of the month, but ultimately a lot of things also, you know, in the last couple of years, the environment changed a lot where things have become a lot more like, you know, a, a lot more computer driven, I would say. And for those of us who really got into the business, because we, we love the radical empathy and the personal piece about it. Like what I would always tell my teams working on working on these clients is your single most important job skill in advertising is your empathy. If you cannot, you know, very genuinely relate to someone who you're, you know, who, who is, you know, who are, who are these people buying WD-40? Who needs WD-40? By the way, WD-40 never expires. That's one of my favorite reasons. Uh, <laughs> one of my reasons it was my favorite client to work on is because you will, don't, don't tell my client I said this, you will never need a new can of WD-40 unless we make it run out. And the only way we can make it run out is we have to find things for you to do with it, right? You know, <laughs> you know, it's one of the greatest inventions ever, I have to say. 
Okay, if if anybody out there does not know what we're talking about, WD forty is this spray that will make everything work again. Yeah, okay, you got a squeak, yeah. you got a creak, you got anything that 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 doesn't open, doesn't close. You spritz it with WD forty, and it's like a miracle. Okay, I love that we've turned this into a WD forty commercial. Paige, I will be charging you for this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him I no. tell him I want to have them as an advertiser on this podcast. Okay, I, you know I will. I know Gary. I will get him on it. Yes, um, Gary is the CEO. But you know, not 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 to make a WD forty joke longer than it already is. But one thing I think that happens to you if you do something too long is you get kind of stuck, right? See WD forty <laughs> joke there. WD forty joke. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yep. But a boom, ching. Okay. 100%. And the other thing that I, I really thought a lot about recently is um, if you spend your if you spend your career in advertising, you are the ultimate approval junkie, right? Literally, I mean, your job is literally to get approvals, right? You, you know, you need your client to approve of work. You need, you know, your, your end customers to approve of work. You need your retailers to approve of work. You need everyone in your giant global agencies to approve of you. It, you know, you, you, after a while, like you morph a little bit into, and if you're, if you're, pretty good or lucky. And in my case, I hope I was a bit of both. You end up being extremely motivated by that sense of like, I just have everyone's approval all the time. And as I kind of realized, you know, the the way things are, where things are kind of heading to in terms of both the, you know, in the entire field of advertising and in terms of like, I'd already kind of had this fantastic global job that I loved, loved everything about it. You know, the next kind of step up, so to speak, was to go, you know, and, um, you know, kind of switch agencies, do some different things. And I was like, you know what? I'm burned out. I, I'm I'm a little done. I'm a little over it. You know, it was it, I, but but I don't know if I can do anything else, right? I mean, you really kind of hit this wall of fear because you're thinking like, I'm I'm used to people telling me I'm good. I'm used to like I, I've become this approval junkie of someone who you know is is looking for this you know kind of like you know daily validation. But I'm also not like like I I, I want to push myself out of this moment. But am I even am I even capable of it? you know, do I even know enough, you know, do I know what I want to do? How do I, and, and yes, there's definitely like, you know, an element of, you know, kind of your stereotypical midlife crisis and that, but, but, you know, how do you work through it? How do you, know, who inspires you to kind of, you know, get through it? And, um, you know, how, how do you, after, if, especially if you've spent a long time thinking more about maybe what other people are think of you than what you think of yourself, <laughs> you know, um, how do you kind of like take some, take back some of that power, right? You know? So how did you do it? Oh, well, you know, um, I'm going to give a huge shout out here to the group I'm working with now, which, um, which is, which is includes my husband, interestingly enough. So married 18 years, we have never, ever worked together. Um, and he, that's why you're married 18 years. That's right. That's right. We'll see how this goes. Right. But, um, totally different worlds. You know, I was, you know, kind of busy flying around the world doing stuff. Um, and you know, in my world, he's a pharma and biotech guy. And on his side, the dissatisfaction was building up around, um, he's focused a lot on chronic conditions, meaning, and the thing about chronic conditions, everyone has one, right? That, you know, there's kind of something a little bit wrong with all of us. And over time that whatever that little something is can definitely, you know, pr- progress and, and become something a little bit more and more, right? And you just kind of accept this thing where your world becomes a tiny bit smaller all the time, Right. I wrote this song from my most recent album called Aches and Pains, so I can relate to this.
100%, right? And, you know, thinking about that kind of chronic condition piece for him was this jump off to want to work on formulation. So I'm going to put that on one side for a second and talk about that in this, more, more in a second. But in terms of like what I was thinking about, I'm like, all right, what is important to me? What do I, what do I want to do next? If I'm going to leave advertising, which has been my home for forever, you know, and frankly, is kind of the, my friend base, my support group, my, you know, my therapy session, what else am I going to do? And I, what I kind of came down to is like, what's really kind of important to me? Like one thing was I really wanted to serve what I, what I would call it kind of like a concept of good. And when I, when I try to pin that down and say, okay, well, what is this good? I, I kind of came to, um, do you remember what the Supreme Court said about pornography like 20 years ago? I they know said, you know, I don't always it. know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I, I can't always tell you what it is, but I know it when I see it. Right. <laughs> that is kind of how I ended up feeling. And, you know, one of the things when you work for advertising is, um, again, it's a whole lot of fun. There's, you know, fantastic creative challenges, but you also see a lot of waste. You see all the packaging, you see all the plastic, you see all the, you know, well, it's really the same thing, but we're going to put a new label on it. it. You know, there's just all this kind of stuff where it's like, is this actually doing anything for anybody? You know, other than, you know, kind of trying to be relevant to a new generation or whatever. Um, and, you know, if, if it's just, if you're just doing the same thing constantly at some point, I think that's where you get that burnout, you know? And how do you get to a place where you're more, cu- you're more curious than you are afraid? And the answer for you was pot, CBD. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, but you know what? I, I, I sort of, I'm always a little resistant to kind of saying like we're a CBD company because if you know the space, a lot of people aren't particularly serious, right? There's a lot of like hype or silliness or, you know, whatever. And not that there's not a fantastic place for recreation in this because there totally is. It's just not, doesn't happen to be what we do. But the thing with chronic, one of the things that I got interested in looking at what, you know, my husband and his pharmaceutical friends were doing and everybody here pretty much for me, except for me as hardcore pharma formulation people, is that uh, there's a lot of stuff that pharmaceutical companies never really take a long look at because they can't patent it. Right. right. The, the best thing you can do. And this is not like a ditching on pharma or ditching on science conversation. You know, look, people have to work very hard to make things that have transformed our lives, you know, in terms of what we expect, our longevity, our no, health. They, they don't have anything on CBD. OK, that's the problem. I agree. Well, and, you know, but, but it's it's to do real to do real science on something is expensive. And for the most part, if you can't patent it, it's hard to, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's hard to get deep into like the whole naturals category, right? And the, the problem with almost all naturals and CBD shares this problem is that they're not particularly bioavailable, meaning that you can take a lot of something and not much of it gets into you. Because, you know, you, you didn't, you know, we didn't evolve symbiotically with a lot of substances, right? Like, you know, CBD wasn't, you know, plants didn't develop cannabinoids in order for us to like, you know, in order for us to consume them, they develop them in order to pollinate and do their plant things, right? So it makes a lot of sense that there's some stuff we have to do. There's formulation work we have to do to make them more bioavailable. And that just doesn't just apply to CBD. It applies to all kinds of things in the natural category. But this whole area, CBD has become enormously popular. I mean, remarkably popular. Now, I'm going to ask an, an obnoxious question, but I don't mean it, it to be that way. I mean, is it <laughs> is it just a trend? Is it just a thing? Does it really work? I mean, how much do we know about all of this? So our whole slogan is data or it didn't happen. You know, and when we st- when we started when we started in with CBD, we were actually kind of suspicious. Like we thought we would probably be more into some other anti-inflammatories like curcumin and turmeric because of exactly what you said. There was kind of like the if, 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 if Kim Kardashian is doing this, how cool can it really be? You know, like, <laughs> like, 
let well, she is a great over. scientist. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you said, is, is it really just that people kind of associate it with pot? And of course, you know, people are like, well, if I like pot, well, I like CBD, or is this like a lighter way of doing it as the country kind of still slowly goes into this? Well, we want to legalize pot, but we're still kind of, you know, we're still faffing around on the edges, you know, kind of thing. But the reason we got interested is because the data is actually, what data exists is very good. All right. So I want to ask you, you made this giant transition. Was it right for you? Did this work out for you? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, both's still out. Both's, both will probably be out and for, you know, another, you know, another, I don't know, 30 years or so. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how the whole defending your when life you, thing goes. 30 years from but... now, when you go into Egyptology, okay, <laughs> people will be saying, you want to see my obelisk again? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, talk about longevity. I mean, our human goals have not changed that much since since those days, right? Listen, I was a guy that, you know, came back to my love decades later. So you may find yeah. that you go back yeah. to Egypt at some point, okay? I am a big believer that everything you've everything you've ever loved in life, everything you love to do, everything you've ever been interested, all those interests feed what you're doing. Yeah, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, even exactly what you said, you know, like you never lose your love of anything because it's always going to come back to serve you. That's true. All right. So Sarah, I want to ask you a question that I ask a lot of my guests, you know, there's, this is the follow your dream podcast, and it's all about trying to inspire and motivate people that have a dream, but for whatever reason, they have not pursued that dream. And my feeling is that for the most part, people don't pursue their dreams because you know what life gets in the way. And mm -hmm. things go in a different direction than they envisioned when they were younger. And they wake up at some point and they say, what the heck happened here? And they, they want to get back to whatever that dream was. So I like to ask people like you that have followed their dream and are being successful in so many respects, what would be your advice to those dreamers out there? You know, make sure your world is getting bigger instead of smaller. And by that, what I mean is... I think one way you can, it, I think it takes a while sometimes to realize you're, you're a little unhappy or you want something, right? Because we, we get so focused on what we think we're supposed to be doing or what other people are approving us to do or, you know, all those things, right? But, but if, if you find yourself getting more and more hung up on these, like, just little things, which in the grand scheme of the world don't either don't matter or like, like, you know, office politics stuff or, you know, just every single thing annoys you or, you know, in life or, or with husband, wife, kids, partner, whatever, you know, um, is your world getting smaller or bigger, right? Are you interested in more things or are you just really focused on these few things that you think are wrong, uh, you know, and if you've, no one has ever, back to the chronic condition thing, no one has ever been happy just sitting kind of dwelling in themselves. You know, because, you know, you just have so much time to notice all these things that are kind of wrong or this isn't good or why am I like this or why are you like that? And and by challenging yourself out, you know, to say, like, what is the biggest, you know, the biggest thing I can do? Though I think that it, what are the biggest things I can be interested in? I think I think that that helps. I think um, for me, I, I was legitimately afraid, you know, I was kind of like and I think for me, it was part of like, what if I'm not any good at this? What if I'm actually never been any good? <laughs> you know? Like, what if I've just gotten a whole lot of people to go along with me? I faked everyone out for my entire life. I, total imposter syndrome, right? You know, and the only, the, I think the only way out of that is, um, you know, I, I read a really good quote about fear a while ago, which is in a way it's not that inspiring, but I found it very comforting, which is because I don't, I don't love big inspirational talks. 
you know, I don't love like big, you know, posters with kittens hanging on things or, you know, like kind of vague advice that doesn't seem to mean anything. But this quote I liked because it was basically, you know, if you try something and fail, it's not that you'll, it's not that your life is over. It's just that you'll probably be in pretty much the same place you, you were before. And you sort of have this feeling of, oh yeah, failing isn't like this wrenching, horrible experience where I can't possibly recover and I have to live under a bridge now. It's more like, well, I'll probably have to try something else then. You know. <laughs> Go back to our friends at WD40. It failed 39 times. And that's exactly, how they got the exactly. name. I want to thank you for being on the podcast that we've been talking here to Sarah Kotlova, who has made a uh, tremendous transition from the world of advertising to the world of CBD. <laughs> and uh, now what we're going to do is play again the song that I started out playing under the introduction. It's my song called Redemption Road from our Project Grand Slam album, PGS7. I want to thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com.